It's often pretty difficult to predict the future. Trust me, bro, I've tried. So when two up-and-coming fighters do battle and then go their separate ways, it's hard to tell which direction their journey will continue to take them, or if they'll ever meet again down the yellow brick road of combat sports. But what does any good TV show have? Reoccurring characters. Ooh, wee! Whatever you want, Rick, we're here to help! And the epic end of season showdown is always better if there's a bit of history between the two rivals, Game of Thrones. Believe it or not, this has happened in MMA many a time, where two athletes meet in a cage, ring, or octagon, have a fight only to be drawn together through the threads of fate once more, but this time leveled up with endgame gear and more on the line. I'm Bailey and from MMA on Point, and these are 10 rematches where the stakes were much higher. Number 10, Rafael Dos Anjos vs Cowboy Cerrone 2. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure many people were excited for UFC Fight Night 27, Condit vs Campman 2 in 2013, I mean, some of us were, and the co-main event was a nice little lightweight matchup between Rafael Dos Anjos and Cerrone. At the time, RDA had been somewhat of a journeyman, already in the UFC for five years, and had just started hitting his stride, collecting a nice little four-fight win streak. The UFC booked him against Donald, who had just been liver-sausaged in a tight eliminator against Anthony Pettis, but had proved he had an elite skill set. It was a good old-fashioned showdown. A shootout, right, is a fucking shootout! It went all three rounds and they stood in front of each other and played Who Can Kick the Hardest? One of my favourite games, by the way. But RDA came out the winner. After that, Cerrone strapped his boots back on and started turning in UFC contracts like they were bounties. He collected eight more scalps in just two years, Donald had entered his Clint Eastwood flow state, and he looked almost unbeatable. RDA, on the other hand, made his way all the way to the UFC title and absolutely sandbagged Anthony Pettis to become the new champion, but his first defence? Cerrone. An epic rematch, only two years in the making, but one that came at the season finale of the Cowboy with RDA looking to shake up the plot lines once again. Critics would tell you that the pressure of big fights can get to Donald, but RDA wasted no time anyway, targeting Cowboy's body, and he finished him in just one minute. From the co-main of a fight night to the UFC lightweight title, it was certainly a bigger deal the second time around. Number 9. Amanda Nunes vs Valentina Shevchenko 2. Long before the UFC decided that the women's divisions deserved a few extra weight classes, all we had was bantamweight and strawweight, which left people like Valentina Shevchenko no choice to either cut more weight and possibly end up looking like a Christian Bale character, or get on that Johnny Hendricks diet, gulp down a couple of big old kahuna burgers. So 135 it was for Valentina. Amanda Nunes, on the other hand, already competed at featherweight, and although she'd lost to a title challenger, Kat Zingano, at 178, the lioness clawed her way back, finishing her next two opponents before the UFC booked her against the bullet. At UFC 196, they squared off for the first time. The first round was close, the second Nunes dominated, but in the third, she only landed three significant strikes and Val looked poised to finish up, but she didn't. The Lioness took the win, then Misha Tate's crown and Ronda Rousey's soul. Valentina then also beat two 135-pound champions in Holly Holm and Juliana Pena, and in just over a year, the rematch was on. This time, though, we were all very excited. We're almost there, baby. I'm fucking excited. As I said, still excited. Because at this point, we kind of worked out that these two were the best bantamweights on the planet, and only one thing made sense, that these two should fight to the death to determine who's truly the best. Anyway, they did fight though, with a belt on the line this time and in the main event of UFC 215. With one of the weirdest scorecards you'll ever see, Nunes got the nod via split decision. Heaven forbid they fight for a third time though, right? And we actually find out who's the quote? We, we don't want to see that. Number 8. Chuck Liddell versus Rampage Jackson 2 you know what was more surprising than finally finding out what was in the hatch at the end of the first season of Lost? When freaking Randy Couture knocked out Chuck Liddell at UFC 43. Yeah, Chuck hadn't lost in 10 fights and was supposed to be the new UFC champion, but oh well, guess Captain America spoiled everyone's fun again. Fuck you, Steve Rogers. That is America's ass. So Dana and Chuck went back to Pride instead, but that also meant conquering some of their top-tier talent, including the Wolfman Rampage Jackson. 
So Chuck entered the 2003 Middleweight Grand Prix, impressively windmilling Alistair Overeem in the opening round. Meanwhile, Rampage had won six fights in a row in Pride, finishing absolutely everyone but Booster Monty, who he split decisioned in the tournament's opening round. Apparently, Dana put $250,000 for Chuck to freeze out Jackson, but after a grueling first round, he put Chuck on his back and pounded him out like a case of energy drinks before going on a monster truck rampage. Chuck returned to the UFC defeated, but quickly stacked up wins, knocking out his next seven opponents. All right, steady on, mate. Most of us just have a quick wank to let out our frustrations. He was the champion now. Jackson, on the other hand, didn't win the Grand Prix and eventually made his way to the UFC, where on the back of a four-fight win streak, was booked to fight Chuck in an epic rematch. This time, though, the grand prize of the UFC title was on the line. These were the best 205ers on the planet. Rampage hunted him down the whole contest and shut his lights out with a championship-winning right hand in just two minutes. It was a definitive ending to this epic rematch. Number seven, Kai Kara France versus Brandon Moreno 2. Well, men's flyweight has certainly come a long way in the last few years. Honestly, though, I'm not going to lie. As much as we all love Demetrius Johnson, after he left the division, things definitely started to get a bit more interesting. Bit like The Expanse. you got to get through the first three episodes, I'm telling you. Both Kai and Brandon have become fan favourites in their own rights, but when they first fought on the early prelims of UFC 245, well, it's fair to say much of the fan base didn't really take any notice, which is a shame, really. I mean, they were the third fight of the night, but that didn't make it any less of a scrap. It stayed on the feet for 15 minutes, and it was an awesome display of high-level 125 pound striking. Brandon took the decision and stayed undefeated until he claimed the UFC title. And Kai went back to the rankings and began a reinvention that eventually led him to a free fight win streak and over the best the division had to offer. And it was clear three years later that aside from Figgy of War, these two men were the best in the division. At UFC 277, the rematch was booked, but this time the interim 125-pound title was on the line. They were the co-main event and not on the early prelims. And Brandon Moreno damn near stole the show when he stopped Kai at the start of round three. The assassin baby became even more loved, and Kai proved himself to be absolutely one of the best flyweights on the planet. A lot more people definitely watch this one as well. Number six, Gray Maynard versus Frankie Edgar 2. Although now both legends in their own way, nobody really had much idea who Frankie and Grey were in 2008 when they rocked UFC Fight Night 13. Okay, so Grey had been on The Ultimate Fighter, but he didn't win the show. In fact, Nate Diaz had choked him out, and by the time of their first fight with Frankie, he was only 4-0 in his career. Frankie, on the other hand, had admittedly made a splash, showing up as an undersized guy for the lightweight division, but still managed to beat his first three UFC opponents. Still, both men had a long way to go to get to the top, including fighting each other. Grey's size really played into the first fight and he took the answer down nine times throughout 15 minutes, which got him a unanimous decision. The bully stayed undefeated, but despite the loss, Frankie would actually fight for the title before Gray. At UFC 112, he ripped the belt away from BJ Penn, and when he beat him again in the rematch months later, it was undisputed. The champion had a new name, Frankie Oliveira. So the following year, it was time to finally run it back between these two men. They had both floated to the top of the lightweight division like two mice churning cream into butter. These guys weren't contenders anymore. The belt was on the line this time, and the fight itself is in the history books as one of the greatest of all time. The literal definition of a knockdown drag out war. It ended in a draw, but one of the best rematches of all time. Number five, Valentina Shevchenko versus Liz Carmouche 2. I'd argue the Bullets combat sports career was already impressive enough before she ever laced on a pair of UFC gloves. I mean, she was already a 17-time world champion. She won just about every Muay Thai title possible and tore up the world's women's MMA circuit at the same time. 7-0 after just her first three years of competition, she took a four-year hiatus in 2006 before returning to fight outside of Asia for the first time at C3 Fights Red River Rivalry against Liz Carmouche. The girl really had transitioned from her position as an aviation electrician in the US Marine Corps to MMA fight 
fighter. Still, this was a regional show, far from the eyes of the mainstream audience and the UFC. I mean, probably less than a thousand people saw it, and the only thing on the line really was their records. Valentina pretty much dominated before getting a cut above her eyebrow. Yeah, I, I feel that I could do it with properly stoppage of the blood, you can continue and get your victory. But they decided, whatever. So Val had to take that loss on the chin and carry on with her career. Even Liz said on the MMA Hour that it was a bit shady. I think the biggest thing is that it was such a shady organization. <laughs> I mean, Three years later and she was in the UFC fighting Ronda Rousey in the first ever women's title fight. Val wouldn't make her debut for another two years, but they both competed at bantamweight until the UFC opened up the flyweight division in 2018. Valentina quickly became the champ and dominantly defended her belt and Liz needed just two wins in the weight class before the rematch was booked. This time, it would headline a UFC fight night, not the Oklahoma Lucky Star Casino, and Valentina's legacy was on the line, as well as the title. Considering her dominant grappling game, there were a few questions going into the bout, but Shevchenko dominated in every way possible. Yeah, it was actually kind of boring, really. Still kind of crazy that these two met in a regional circuit and then again fighting for the UFC title. Number four, Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman 2. There's similarities between Rocky and the Nigerian Nightmare. They both made their UFC debuts just three years into their pro career and were both immigrants and had to struggle through their childhoods to adapt to a new surrounding. The build-up to their first fight on the early prelims of the already mentioned Cowboy vs. RDA2 card was minimal, even though Kamaru had just won the Ultimate Fighter. Going into the show, he was 5-1, all finishes, but he had two of his 30% performances on tough. Leon was his first actual UFC fight, and he'd already banged out two octagon wins after losing a close split decision in his debut. Then, as a UK striker is so often gifted, he was given the wrestler Usman. Sure, for Kamaru, it was his debut. I'm sure the stakes were pretty high, and Rocky put up a good fight, but he was taken down six times and admitted himself he barely knew how to wrestle at that point. But it was okay, because Leon wouldn't lose another fight for, well, ever, at least for right now. After 10 more wins, being removed from the rankings, COVID, and an incredibly awkward eye poke, he finally earned a title shot and a rematch against Usman, who in that time had managed to take the title from Woodley in one of the most dominant performances ever, defend the belt five times, and position himself as the number one pound-for-pound -pound guy on the roster. So yeah, there was a lot on the line when they met at UFC 278. Seven years in the making, with a UFC title as well, two guys on 10-plus fight win streaks, that barely ever happens. Clearly the two best guys in the division. Usman dominated much of the fight, but Leon had the Konami code in the form of a 1-2 head kick, and just like that, he was a new champion. Number three, Chuck Liddell versus Jeremy Horn two. When these two pioneers fought back at UFC 19, they couldn't have been more opposite. It was like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson meeting Vyacheslav Datsik, except their fighting styles being different, not what they chose to do in their spare time. Chuck had compiled a 20-2 amateur kickboxing career before transitioning into MMA, where he made his pro debut in the UFC, and then beat the legend Pele in a 30-minute Valley Tudo war. Still though, that was just two fights of Jeremy Horn's 23-4-4 record that he'd built in just three years. So Chuck came back to the UFC for his third pro fight and was given Jeremy, who'd already fought Frank Shamrock for the title and was actually winning before he got knee-barred. I don't want to say this fight was a card filler, but there weren't any titles on the line or anything like that. Chuck had already mastered the sprawl and brawl, but apparently, according to him, he didn't know what an arm triangle was, and Jeremy sunk one in from full guard. Chuck actually went to sleep for quite a while before Big John stepped in. By the time these two rematched, though, nearly six years later, Chuck had won 15 more fights and was in the middle of a KO streak, which saw him capture not only the title, but the hearts and minds of pretty much every fan. He became the biggest star in the US. It's not like one loss would have seen all that go away, but at UFC 54, they brought Jeremy Horn back 
skin and, you know, fighting someone who's already beaten you with a title on the line this time is pretty high stakes. Jeremy had also compiled over 100 fights in pretty much every promotion you could name, so he wasn't a superstar, but this was definitely a bigger deal than filling the card at UFC 19. Chuck knocked him down in rounds one and two before forcing him to quit in the fourth round after he told Big John he could no longer see. Number two, Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira. So are we cheating a bit here? I don't think so. If anything, it's a testament to these two athletes that they've reached the highest levels in two sports. Israel had been kickboxing in New Zealand and China and was a three-time King of the Ring champion and only two decision losses to his 24 wins. Alex, on the other hand, was also a multiple-time champion. He captured three regional titles in Brazil before heading to the Glory Contender Tournament and won the whole thing. Their careers would finally clash in a new promotion in China called Glory of Heroes. Izzy was known as the Black Dragon at the time and had garnered a fair amount of fan interest in China, but let's face it, the hype for this one is incomparable to the rematch that's about to take place at UFC 281, with some calling it the most important fight of the year as Izzy is the longest-standing men's champion we currently have. Their first fight was extremely close. Alex got the decision, but Izzy thought he'd done enough. It'd been a tactical battle with Adesanya trying to outmaneuver and avoid the danger in Alex's left hand. They met again a year later. Izzy came out more aggressive and was battering Alex all before the hammer dropped, and he definitively ended the contest with his signature shot. Since then, we've seen the last Stylebender's meteoric rise in popularity and in legacy, and he's defended the belt more than five times and pretty much lapped the division. So what could be more intriguing than matching him up against the last man to ever beat him at middleweight, with his win streak, his title, and his legacy on the line? It's the Conor McGregor-Joe Duffy fight we never got. Alex did his job, has picked up three UFC wins, and at 281, the anticipation of just the matchup alone is palpable. Number one, Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway 2. All right then, well, both of these guys are definitely legends in the sport at this point, but obviously they didn't start out that way. Dustin was lucky enough to make it into the WEC and get two fights in the promotion before it was bought out by the UFC, and he came along with it, making the switch to featherweight, where in 2011, he quickly stacked up three wins in a row with the rumblings of potential swelling in behind him. Meanwhile, Max was just free just 20 years old, and who did they give him in his UFC debut? Why, Louisiana's finest, of course. Bit harsh, you say, but Dustin was supposed to face top contender Ricardo Lamas. He got injured, and on one week's notice, Max stepped up for, well, what was at the time, just a chance to get himself on the big show. He actually did really well on the feet, and it was Dustin that took him down and subbed him with a mounted triangle, but, you know, not many people really paid much attention. After that, they both set about grinding their way through the UFC divisions, Dustin eventually moving up to lightweight, and Max securing himself as 145 pound champion, it was then seven years later that the two men would meet again. Max was riding a 13-fight UFC winning streak this time around, though, and Dustin had executed a streak of finishes that meant it was his time to fight for a belt. At UFC 236, the champ Habib was suspended after eagle diving off the cage, so Max and Dustin rematched this time with a 155-pound strap on the line, as well as legacy, winning streaks, and just a whole heap of fan anticipation. It was a hell of a fight. Both men gave their best, but ultimately, Dustin got the win, ending Max's five-year unbeaten run, which many people thought couldn't even be done. In other rematch-related news, I actually beat Luke in FIFA, so now he's going to publicly apologize to me. Go on then, mate. Seriously though, he does such a good job every day editing and working on these videos for you, making them funnier than I ever could. Go give him a follow at cooltome underscore. Big boy Ben Rosette doesn't need rematches. He's always undefeated with that intro tune you know and love so well. Cheers, Ben. Thanks for making us some music. Want to hear more? Go look him up. Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching, your MMA maniacs. Let us know down below if you thought of anyone we missed or who should have made it to the top 10. UFC 281 is going to be sick. If you enjoyed this video, give us a thumbs up. Good karma in it. And don't forget, don't want to miss a video from 
us, give us a subscribe and hit the notification bell. Make it happen. I've been Bailey, and as always, follow me here if you fancy. See you in the next one. <laughs>